For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farming Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Christine San Jose recites writers on the theme of winter. Stephanie Phillips speaks with Taylor Adam, Beginner Farmer Program Manager at Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension. We give a nod of recognition to Beverly Sterner for her volunteer work of compassion with the Upper Delaware community. All of that and Keith Hubbard's Star Talk, after news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Giles Snyder. In Taiwan, Vice President Lai Qingdo won the presidential election with about 40% of the vote. Lai's ruling Democratic Progressive Party is skeptical of China, which claims a self-governed democracy. Lai spoke in Taipei. Here he is who an interpreter thanking voters. We are telling the international community that between democracy and authoritarianism, we will stand on the side of democracy. Lai said he will work to safeguard Taiwan from threats and intimidation by China. Members of the Houthi movement promising a strong and effective response to the latest American airstrike in Yemen. NPR's Peter Kenyon reports the escalating violence is stoking fears of a wider regional conflict. A Houthi spokesman said the latest strikes, whose targets included a radar facility and a military base in Yemen, had no significant impact on the group's ability to attack ships that he called Israel-related from passing through the Red Sea. President Joe Biden warned Friday that he could order more strikes if the attacks on vessels don't stop. The Houthis say the motivation for the drone and missile attacks that have driven some shippers to reroute around southern Africa is to show support for Hamas and Hezbollah, two proxy militias funded and armed by Iran. Israel has been launching attacks in the Gaza Strip and across the northern border with Lebanon in the wake of the Hamas surprise attack that killed some 1,200 people on October 7th. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Istanbul. With the war in Gaza approaching the 100-day mark, Israel is pressing its offensive. Health and rescue officials in Gaza say more than 30 Palestinians were killed overnight by Israeli airstrikes. The World Health Organization says fewer than half of Gaza's 36 hospitals are functional and only partially. The Israeli military has said the war will stretch throughout the year. Hamas still holds more than 100 hostages taken during the October 7th attack. Millions of Americans in the path of a severe winter storm that's brought heavy snow, ice, and dangerous bitter cold to the middle of the country. David Shaper reports from Chicago that airlines have delayed and canceled more than 5,000 flights, while hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses have lost power. Whiteout conditions for blowing snow forced aviation authorities to ground flights at Chicago's O'Hare Airport for a couple of hours, while heavy snow and winds up to 60 miles an hour will continue to make driving treacherous through Saturday. Brandy Kanazi of Chicago's Department of Family and Support Services says plummeting temperatures could be life-threatening to those who are homeless. So the city is opening warming centers and... Over the next several days and nights, homeless outreach teams will be out visiting encampments across the city performing well-being checks and connecting residents to shelter. Meanwhile, utility crews are working to restore power to those with outages. For NPR News, I'm David Shaper in Chicago. And from Washington, you're listening to NPR News.
Welcome back to Farm and Country. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. On today's show, Christine San Jose recites writers on the theme of winter along the Poets' Row. In her segment, Now You Know, Stephanie Phillips speaks with Taylor Adam, Beginner Farmer Program Manager at Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension. We give a nod of recognition to Beverly Sterner for her volunteer work of compassion with the Upper Delaware community. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk Report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. The moon and Jupiter will be very close to each other in the sky on Thursday. They will be separated by three degrees. The duo will be high in the southeastern sky at nightfall and will remain in the sky until almost 12.30 a.m. The first quarter moon will be just above Jupiter. The Terminator, the line separating the lighted regions from the darkened regions, will run down the middle of the moon. Shadows on the moon are longer during a first quarter moon, making the features along the Terminator stand out in sharp relief. On the lighted side, four dark areas called seas can be seen. The uppermost sea is the Sea of Serenity, and the one directly below it is the Sea of Tranquility. The smaller sea below the Sea of Tranquility is the Sea of Fecundity. Lastly, the sea near the edge of the moon is the Sea of Crises. Through a telescope capable of magnifying objects 25 times, the gas bands of Jupiter will be visible. The gas in the lighter bands are rising, and the gas in the darker bands are sinking. Also present around Jupiter will be the four Galilean moons, Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. Depending on when you view Jupiter, Ganymede and Callisto will be either on the left side or above Jupiter, and Io and Europa will be either on the right side or below Jupiter. Look to the southeastern sky Thursday evening to see the moon and Jupiter three degrees apart. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. the Poets Row today, we're really facing winter. And in good company, we have a couple of the masters this morning. First, a very American, comparatively modern master. Yes, Robert Frost. And his poem is called The Runaway. Once, when the snow of the year was beginning to fall, we stopped by a mountain pasture to say, Who's cold? A little Morgan had one forefoot on the wall, the other curled at his breast. He dipped his head and snorted at us, and then he had to bolt. 
We heard the miniature thunder where he fled, and we saw him, or thought we saw him, dim and grey, like a shadow against the curtain of falling flakes. I think the little fellow is afraid of snow. He isn't winter broken. He doesn't play with the little fellow at all. He's running away. I doubt if even his mother could tell him, sakes, it's only weather. He thinks she didn't know. Where is his mother? He can't be out alone. And now he comes again with a clatter of stone and mounts the wall again with white eyes and all his tail that isn't hair up straight. He shudders his coat as if to throw off flies. Whoever it is that leaves him out so late when other creatures have gone to stall and bin ought to be told to come and take him in. Yes, indeed. Here's one, Jessica from Massachusetts. Jessica says, Toss me a winter with a wind that blows. Toss me a winter with some deer and a doe. Toss me a winter full of ice and snow. Just toss me a winter. <laughs> and now, from that old master, William Shakespeare. It's from his play, Love's Labour's Lost. He calls it winter. When icicles hang by the wall, and Dick the shepherd blows his nail, and Tom bears logs into the hall, and milk comes frozen home in pail, when blood is nipped and ways be foul, then nightly sings the staring owl, to woo, to wit, to woo, a merry note, while greasy Joan doth keel the pot. When all around the wind doth blow, and coughing drowns the parson's sore, and birds sit brooding in the snow, and Marion's nose looks red and raw, when roasted crabs hiss in the bowl, then nightly sings the staring owl, to woo, to wit, to woo, a merry note, while greasy Joan doth keel the pot. Keel the pot, well, I think that means Joan's tending to the stew, so that all those cold workers are going to get a break with a nice, hot, nourishing bowl. And let's hope somebody brings the colt in. Well, I hope you all have a nice, hot, nourishing soup several times over this weekend. This has been Christine San Jose along the Poets' Row for Farm and Country. program manager at CC Sullivan and my pronouns are she her yeah I just moved to the area so I'm like pretty new here and pretty new into this position as well 
And where did you move from? Complicated question. I was previously farming in New Jersey as the livestock manager at a very diversified farm operation. But I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Um, but I've lived a lot of places in between, so I don't usually say Pennsylvania anymore. And how long have you been at Cornell Cooperative Extension? I started at Cornell Cooperative Extension in March, so a fairly short amount of time so far. And what made you focus on beginner farmers, or was that position there before you stepped into it? So the position was already there, and they were actually... The program is completely new, so they were hiring a manager just for this program. But I had worked with farmers in the past, and I wanted to be on the other side of farming for a moment. And I was a beginner farmer myself, so I felt a kindering towards helping other beginner farmers. So you have a piece of property up here? No, not at all. <laughs> I just moved here, so my partner and I are renting. but. We weren't ready to buy land or anything like that at this point. You were kind of looking at all the rocks and thinking how discouraging it is. Yeah, and it's like such a big commitment and I think we're still, my partner is also a farmer so we're really trying to figure out if we bought land what that would look like for us. So what made you focus on beginner farmers and how do you define a beginner farmer? Yeah, so as I said, the program, the Beginner Farmer program, was started here, so that kind of defined me working with beginner farmers right away. And our definition, which is the definition that the USDA uses and a lot of under other organizations, it's less than 10 years of farming is the loose definition of a beginner farmer. But it doesn't always look that way. Like, some people define themselves as beginner they've been working on farms forever and then they're a beginner once they own land. Or it's just based on the person's individual definition, but I'm here to support. Is there a similar group of established farmers? Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many established and seasoned farmers already. I don't think it's at all balanced or if there's a significant difference between established or beginner, but there's Definitely in this area alone, a lot of farms that have existed for a while. And what type of farming do beginners do? Is it different from what the old-timers are doing? <laughs> I don't know if different is the word. I mean, I feel like usually beginner farmers are starting small. So more seasoned or established farmers probably have larger operations at this point in their career. So I feel like beginners start small and... Sometimes I feel like beginner farmers might start a little bit more diversified to figure out what they're going to focus on, but it really depends. What do you consider to be small? I don't know. I think there's a lot of cool range in farming these days on what small looks like because having a small amount of property doesn't mean you're selling a small amount of products. Because you can do a lot with a little land, and I mean, you can see that in urban farming today, too. So I don't think I have a definition. I know there's, like, a lot of paperwork that might have a definition for you when, like, applying for certain grants and stuff, but I don't think there's one definition for small anymore, which I think is a cool part of what farming's becoming. Yeah, it's interesting. I've run into people who are farming in, I guess, their 
kind of glass houses or, or yeah and they're they have very little land mm-hmm. yeah you can have so little and produce so much and it's so incredible the types of production practices people will do and like how much you can really grow in a small space and how much you can sell from such a small space Taylor, what makes you think that these people need your help in getting organized? I don't know if it's a, I think people need my help. I think for CCE Sullivan, when they were trying to start this program, they had a ton of inquiries and calls from beginner farmers that they just couldn't keep up with. And it for them, it felt like they needed an entire program that was going to specifically support beginner farmers because of all the requests from the public. So that's kind of how the program was created. And then with that creation, CCE Sullivan was able to get a grant funded by the USDA for the program. So it was really based off of the inquiries and the calls that were coming in here and CCE being like, wow, we need something or someone that supports specifically beginner farmers, which is how it was created. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think when I was a farmer, any help was always helpful. So I think there's, for myself, as I consider this position, I'm just here and whatever farmers need. So if that's just going over an idea or like really getting into the nitty gritty of like business planning or finding land or financial stuff. So it's kind of whatever they need from me. I'm just here. <laughs> what types of programs do you think are useful for a beginning farmer? And what kind of events do you run for them? I think there's a lot of different types because I feel like farmers, each farmer is at a different point in their farm business or their farm business planning. So because of that, we try to provide a range of different things that could be helpful. For example, like we do workshops on a ton of different topics from production techniques, but also to like the not as fun part, like business planning and insurance and marketing plans, stuff like that, that can often get left behind as like winter projects for farms sometimes. But I think program wise also besides our workshops, we also have a mentorship program that I think is really, I don't know if powerful is the right word, but for myself in farming, I realized that having a mentor was like the biggest thing for me because it was someone I could go to always with questions. So we've created a mentorship program that's now started or not started. The application is open November 1st and it'll start in February 2024. And that program provides farmer mentees or beginner farmers with a farmer mentor for the entire year. And that's like... We expect them to be communicating with their mentors at least once a month. And then like with that, have a set of goals that they can work towards with their mentors throughout the 12 month period. And then the part that like I think is really important for farmers, especially with starting up, is like that startup capital that goes to things that you might not think are a cost, like marketing. So with the mentorship, if you're a beginner farmer, farmer technically farmer mentee, you get a $10,000 stipend for the year broken up in four, into quarterly payments. And then the farmer mentor also gets compensated monetarily for their time hourly. So it's like this mentorship program is really trying to like create a mentor for farmers, for beginner farmers in this area, but also feel like they have the financial support in these like very early steps of their farm. 
And then like the other big programming piece is like, I'm just here as a resource. So if people ever want to call or if people want me to come to their farm to visit, or if they just want to like chat about what they're doing, like I'm just here for that. And like whatever conversations people need to have. And then, yes, there's a lot of different programs <laughs> that can be helpful. And then with that, we have a lot of different events. So we have workshops and things like that, but then we also have these farmer networking events that we're calling farmer mixers, which in, I hope is like a way for possible mentees to meet mentors, but also I hope these farmer mixers are an entryway for folks that are new to farming in this area, that they don't know who to talk to or who the farmers are, and they could come to this mixer and feel like they're a part of an agricultural community and that like they have a space to enter and have folks to talk to right away. So a long-winded answer, tons of progress. <laughs> right, it's beginner farmers may feel kind of isolated because they're working by themselves on a piece of land that's separate from anybody else. Yeah, it can be extremely isolating. And then I think the other isolating part is if you go into farming having never farmed, it can be isolating. For example, I was a livestock farmer. I grew up in a very rural community, but I never grew up farming. So that entry to farming felt like such a hard barrier to get over. And I think that can feel isolating if you don't have that like childhood experience of growing up farming. So I hope too that like that isolating part is removed, that it's like, okay, if you define yourself as an aspiring farmer, as a beginner farmer, as interested in farming, there's a community here that exists that like you can enter and be welcomed immediately. That's great. Taylor, what problems is a beginning farmer likely to face? I feel like there can be a ton and you never know what they're gonna be. I think some like problems from the beginning that can be difficult is finding lands, that like land access piece. I think the startup capital farming can be quite difficult because once you start farming it's easier to get grants or loans from other like farm organizations and I think also like reading your land can feel really challenging at first knowing what to do knowing what feels good and I think that's sometimes a big piece especially if you haven't farmed before and you bought land and you're like okay I'm gonna farm it's like okay well I have the land what do I do now? And I think those initial steps can feel really intimidating, which then maybe makes them feel like a problem. But that's why I'm here, is to help try and figure that out. So my email is tea46 at cornell.edu or beginnerfarmer at cornell.edu. And then my phone number is 845-292-6180. And my extension is 130. So now you know about setting up programs for beginner farmers. My guest today has been Taylor Adam, the Beginning Farmer Program Manager at Cornell Cooperative Extension. I'll welcome your ideas for future Now You Know segments. Email me at stephanie at wjffradio.org. This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. At this time, I would like to recognize a member of our Delaware River Valley community that shines her light locally and globally.
Beverly Sterner is a veteran organizer and activist of the nonviolent peace and justice movements. In 1960, she protested nuclear weapons. Throughout the 1960s and 70s, she helped organize the peace and justice coalitions. She was a nonviolent monitor at the 1963 March on Washington, then returned to Washington, D.C. with Dr. King for the 1968 Poor People's Campaign before he was assassinated. She is a founding member of the Upper Delaware Community Network, an online group like a bulletin board connecting neighbors to neighbors in fulfilling their individual needs and that of the Upper Delaware community. Here is an excerpt from a Farm and Country archived interview. There's a philosophy of nonviolence that has to do with the power to stand in what you believe in and what is your truth and not to react. That is not to lose what you believe in by reacting to what somebody else is doing. And that that somebody else, of course, is either violent or attacking in some way. So when we don't do that, we have a much greater power and there is an opportunity then to influence what goes around. If we don't do that, we lose our power. So nonviolence is not just a strategy. It's a, it's a deep philosophy so that you're not just being not violent. You are putting out something else. And that something else is what Dr. King learned when he went to India and what A.J. Musty learned. And it's, it's, it's something called Satyagraha, which is soul force. That is, you're putting out love instead of hate. That's soul force. And that was what Dr. King did, and that was what John Lewis was talking about. And that is tremendously powerful because it's a bright light. And it's like what Leonard Cohn talked about in Anthem. said, you know, there's a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So that's what we need to remember now when there's a really big crack. And we need to just bring our light into it. And how do we do it? We do it in a community where we can stand together, where we can connect uh, in the things that are important to us. And it doesn't matter that uh, what a person's political views are if we can make the connection uh, and uh, uh, find ways of finding things in common so that we can face whatever we are going to face in this community on an environmental and on a physical level. We're going to be facing some difficult times we already have. There are tornadoes, more tornadoes now than ever before, and floods. How do we deal with this as a community? We're certainly not going to divide into Republicans and Democrats. We're going to just be a beloved community. That was Beverly Sterner, founder of the Upper Delaware Community Network. There are more than 1,000 members welcomed into the Upper Delaware Community Network. The Upper Delaware Community Network is an online group whose purpose is simply to connect us to each other, to community organizations, to the resources and needs of the people and the community, to our precious environment, and to ourselves.
We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard, Christine San Jose, and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guests, Taylor Adam, beginning farmer program manager at Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension, and Beverly Sterner, founder of the online Upper Delaware Community Network. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org. I'm Aaron Bendich. Join me for Borscht Beat, the Jewish music show on Radio Catskill. Each week I share rare, forgotten, and classic recordings from Jewish musical traditions across multiple generations. From Yiddish folk songs to instrumental klezmer, Yiddish theater, and contemporary performances. It's a grand tour of many musical landscapes. That's Borscht Beat, an hour of Jewish music in the Catskills, Sunday afternoons at 1 on Radio Catskill. Hey, it's Francis Lamb, host of